just for you, with my arms stretched wide, I will worship you, so I throw up my hands and praise you again and again, so up your song, cause you've got a lion inside of those wrongs, get up and praise the Lord, oh come on my soul, don't you get shy on me, lift up your song, cause you've got a lion inside of those Good morning Southview, we are so excited to have you worshiping with us this morning. Here are your big three announcements for the week. Our missions ministry is having a fundraiser dinner and silent auction next month on Saturday, March 18th. The cost for these tickets for a chicken plate is $8. We'd love for you to come and support missions in this way by texting the word ticket to 910-424-1298. Hey guys, you don't want to miss this year's 2023 men's retreat. Last year's was amazing. God did such a phenomenal work, so you don't want to miss it. The cost for that trip for an adult guy is $175. Youth guys are $110 with a deposit due of $50. You can go ahead and sign up by texting the word retreat to 910-424-1298. 
And believe it or not, Vacation Bible School is right around the corner beginning June 5th. We would love for you to be a part of serving these children in this amazing way. Everything from teaching to crafts. If you would, please just text VBS to the number 910-424-1298. There's more information to come about that, but you don't want to miss it. We encourage you for all the other announcements to download the Southview Baptist Church app at Google Play or iTunes, and you'll be able to find all the other information there. So take a moment and download our app. And there are multiple ways for you to give. Uh, you can give online through the app, or you can give on either uh, side of the sanctuary in the giving boxes located near the exits. And if you're a guest with us visiting today, we would love to begin to connect with you. So if you'll just text the word CONNECT to that same number, 910-424-1298, and this lets us know how we can get in touch with you, uh, begin to minister to you, and how we can pray for you. So thank you for worshiping again with us today. All right, good morning, church. Let's stand and sing and worship our God together. Who am I that the highest king would welcome me? I was lost, but he brought me in, oh, his love.
to 
Jesus, Jesus, we thank you that you are our everything. You are our reason for everything. You are glorious and amazing and beautiful. I ask you, Jesus, that as we dive into your word now, you just give us greater insight into who you are. Let us see you for who you are, Jesus, the beautiful treasure that you are. and Let us be changed by you. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Welcome to you. My name is Brad. If you're a guest with us today, I'm the pastor here at Southview, and it's great to have you worshiping with us today. If you've got a Bible, let's find the book of Colossians together, all right? Colossians chapter 1 is where we're going to be. We began last week a series in the book of Colossians that we're just calling Jesus is greater than everything, uh, because what the the point of the book of Colossians is trying to show us is that Jesus is greater than everything. Our greatest need, my greatest need, your greatest need, is not to learn how to be better parents, how to be a better spouse, how to better manage your money, how to get better education. The greatest need we have is to have a, a, a clearer picture of who Jesus is, his glory, his worth, his beauty, his power. As we see clearly who Jesus is, this now impacts and changes everything about us. And this is what the book of Colossians is all about. Colossians is about showing us the glory and beauty and, and worth of Jesus. The point of Colossians to show us how colossal, huge Jesus is. In fact, um, a commentator, theologian, man named Henry Ironside said that there is no greater explanation of who Jesus is ever written than in the book of Colossians. So we're going to dive into Colossians and see who this great Jesus is. Um, so if you've been with us for long, you probably heard me refer to Matthew uh, chapter 13, verse 44. It's one of my favorite verses, one of my favorite parables of Jesus. I, it's kind of a foundational verse for just life and ministry and Bible teaching and all of that. Um, it's the story of Jesus telling about a man who is walking through a field, finds treasure, and the treasure is so glorious, he buries that treasure back in the field. And with great joy, he goes and sells off everything he has so that he can go buy that field and get that treasure. And the idea behind the parable is Jesus is the treasure. And when you see how glorious and amazing and awesome and beautiful Jesus is, you gladly turn away from everything this world has for you because you just want Jesus. He's that worthy. And so as we dive into Colossians, what I want you to kind of do is think of the book of Colossians like a field, all right? And every week we're going to come in here and we're going to dive and dig deeper and deeper and deeper into this field, hopefully by God's grace, unearthing more of Jesus and seeing how glorious and amazing and worthy he is. So we're going to be in Colossians chapter 1 verse 15. And, and I want to kind of give you a heads up about what we're going to do. I like to give you my outline first, and you can judge me afterwards how well of a job I did. So we're going to see two truths and a conclusion, all right? So our two truths that we're going to see are this. 
One, Jesus is God. Two, Jesus is our sacrifice. All right, those are the two big truths, the pillars that everything is hanging on. Jesus is God, and Jesus is our sacrifice. Therefore, our conclusion is you and I must abandon everything else so that we can worship, pursue, and obey him. All right? When you see Jesus for who he is, that he is God, he is your sacrifice, you see him for who he is, you have no other option but to abandon everything and just chase after him. Right? That's, the, that's our big idea. So uh, let's tackle our first truth, all right? Jesus is God, all right? First truth I want you to, foundational of Christianity. Jesus is God. He's not just a good teacher. He's not just a good prophet. He's not just a good miracle worker. He's not one path of many to God. Jesus is God. All right, so Colossians chapter 1. Let's pick it up in verse 15. I have to find the book of Colossians first. There we go. Colossians 1, verse 15. We kind of walk through it. And if you're new here, kind of what we do is we kind of walk through the scriptures and we'll just sort of read a little bit and talk a little bit and read a little bit and talk a little bit and work our way through it. All right. So Colossians 1, verse 15. He, that's Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. All right, so what does that mean? He's the image of the invisible God. The word image is icon. Um, that, that kind of translates into an English word. We have like an icon. Um, it means image, right? It means a, a, a stamp, a picture of something. So they would have coins with the, the inscription, the picture of Caesar on it. And for many, they never physically have seen Caesar in their entire life, right? He's in Rome, and they're in the far-flung parts of the empire. They've never actually physically seen Caesar, but you can pull out a coin and see the image and likeness of Caesar, and you know that's who, that's who Caesar is. And this is the way it's describing Jesus. Jesus is the visible image of God. You want to know who God is? You look to Jesus. Right? Jesus is God. He goes on to say he's the firstborn of all creation. This doesn't mean that Jesus was created. The word firstborn can mean place of, of position. Like he's above all creation. He's Lord of all creation. He is the source by which all creation has now come. And he, and he kind of emphasizes that again in verse 16. Look at 16. For by him, again that's Jesus, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Right? It's making this emphatic point. Jesus is God. Jesus is the creator. What all things did Jesus create? All, right? All things. In fact, it even goes into getting into the spiritual world. It's describing thrones and dominions and authorities and powers. It's believed that these are talking about different kinds of angelic beings, right? Good angels, demonic angels, whatever. The idea is everything in heaven, on earth, everything that's been created, every person, every place, everything, every animal, everything is created by God. Not only was it created by God, I love the last little part of, of, of verse 16. All things were created through him, and then all things were created for him. Everything that exists, exists for one purpose, the glory of Jesus Christ. You exist today 
You were created by God for one reason. That's one of the questions that people always ask. Why were we created? Why were we created? And some people would say things like, well, you were created because, you know, God wanted a relationship with you, which is true. But, but the reason that God created you was not because God needed a buddy. All right? It wasn't like God's like lonely. It's like, I've got a lot of space up here. I need somebody to hang out with. I know. I'll create people. Well, he didn't do that for, for two reasons. Number one, he already had perfect community in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He didn't need anything. He is totally and complete. God is in need of nothing. That includes companionship, right? He didn't need you. Second is this. If God created us because he needed a friend, then that means he did a really lousing job of solving his own problem. Right? All we did was rebel against him. The point of you and I being created was not because God needed us. It's because he created us just out of an overflow of his glory, just to glorify himself. Good, bad, whatever we end up with in our lives, it's all for the glory of God. This is what I love about atheists. They're like, no, God doesn't exist, despite the fact that, the fact that they literally are breathing is pointing to the fact that it's all for God's glory. Like, you exist for the glory of God. You can't escape it. Jesus created you. Jesus created you for his own glory. And Jesus has authority over all things. It keeps on going. Verse 17. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Everything, I love that phrase, all things hold together. In other words, Jesus is not only your creator, Jesus is your sustainer. You continue to exist today because Jesus deems it so. Right now, the synapses in your brain are firing and your heart is pumping blood and your lungs are expanding and contracting because Jesus tells them to do so. You exist and continue existing because Jesus desires you to. He he didn't just created you, he sustains you. The fact that you're sitting in this room right now, breathing, is only because of Jesus He is God. He is your creator. He is your sustainer of all life. And then he keeps on going, building this argument even more. Verse 18. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So it says he's the head of the body, the church. So think about the the, the idea of head. So head means a couple of things. Head can mean a position of authority, right? Like a head coach head of state, right? That's the position of authority. They're in charge. But head is also like the the beginning, the source of something, like the head of a river or the head on your body, right? If if your head gets removed from your body, you stop living, right? There are a lot of parts of your body that you can lose. Your head just ain't one of them, right? And so you need the head. The head, as Jesus, as our head, Jesus is our Lord. He is our master. We obey him. And he is the head and that he's the source of all life for us. If we get cut off from Jesus, we have nothing now, right? This is the idea. Who is Jesus? It also says in 18, the firstborn from the dead. Speaking of his resurrection. Now, again, that idea of firstborn. We saw that earlier, firstborn from creation, now firstborn from the dead. That doesn't mean that Jesus was the first person ever resurrected from the dead. He wasn't. Right? Jesus rose people from the dead before his resurrection. The Old Testament's filled with people being risen from the dead. But when it says he's the firstborn from the dead, that means his resurrection is different. 
His resurrection is the resurrection that makes all others possible. You and I are going to experience the resurrection from the dead because of Jesus' resurrection. He's the one that makes all of that possible. So you have Jesus, right? God, creator, sustainer, source of life, giver of all things. And the idea is it's building and building and building and building and building so that you can get to that last part of verse 18. He is all of these things, creator, sustainer, giver of life, so that, 18, in everything he might be preeminent. Circle that word preeminent. We're going to come back to that here in just a second. That word preeminent means first, right? Because Jesus is all of these things, we must see him for who he is and put him in his proper place. And then 19 and 20, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Every ounce of God resides in Jesus, right? There, Jesus is not one fraction less God, right? All the fullness of God dwells in Jesus. And because of that, verse 20, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. What he's saying is because Jesus is God, he's the only one who can reconcile us to himself. No one else can step in there. God, since we sinned against God, rebelled against God, only God can reconcile us to himself, and Jesus is God, right? And we'll, we'll come back to hit that here in just a second also. But look back up at verse 18, right? So all of these things are true of Jesus. Jesus is God, right? This is our big truth we're trying to help us understand. Jesus is God. This is who he is. He is our creator. He is our sustainer. He is our giver of all life. Apart from him, we have nothing. Apart from him, we do not exist. He is God, right? He holds all in his hand. Apart from him, we have nothing. And the idea is that we see him as this, understand him as this, have our spiritual eyes open to, 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 to treasure him as this, so that, verse 18, in everything he might be Preeminent. Uh, some of your translations may have a different word there, may say so that he may be first in all things, which is, is good. But I prefer the word preeminent. I think this is a better translation. Here's why. What does the word preeminent mean? Preeminent doesn't just mean you're first. Preeminent means you're so far superior, there's no point in ranking anything underneath you. Does that make sense? It's not like there's, there's a difference between, you know, something is first, second, and third, but it's a close first, second, and third, right? It's nip and tuck. Preeminent is different. Preeminent is you're so far above, just forget the list. There's no point in ranking anything else because this individual, this thing is preeminent. And that's the way it's describing Christ here. It's not that Jesus is first among all these other things, first among this, and first in the list of your life. He's preeminent. He's so far above everyone and everything else, there's no point in even tracking the rest. Let me explain it this way. Here's the difference. Guys, imagine you went home today and you said to your wife, um, you know, I've been thinking. And uh, I have a really long list of ladies. And I love them all. And they are all vying for top place in my life. 
But I want you to know something. You, you're first. How do you think that goes? What do you think the response is going to be to that? Do you think your wife is going to be like, ever since I was a little girl, I dreamed that someone would say that to me one day. I got a whole list of ladies that I'm after, but you're number one. Yeah, that, that wouldn't go well, right? You would immediately be calling me going, hey, can we get on your calendar for this week? I think, I think I just stepped in it. I think I just made a mistake. The point is supposed to be that your wife is so utmost in your thoughts and affections, there is no list. Right? She's so preeminent in your mind, there is no ranking underneath. You just burn the rest of the list. And, and, and this is the way he's trying to describe Jesus and us. Listen to me. And, and I get saying, I've used this language, I know a lot of us use this language, and, and, and I'm not trying to nitpick, I'm really not. But, but, but words mean things, right? Words matter, words have meaning, words have definition. So we need to make sure we understand what it is we're saying. When we say things like, you know, God is first in my life, or Jesus is first in my life. I know what we're trying to say, but I want to just, I want to just caution us to think through this. Not that you're meaning this or trying to say this, but I just want us to think through this. I think very easily what we can do is we have so many things that we love and chase after in our life, and we just try hard to make God be a big part of it. Jesus is the big part of my life. I try, to, I try my best to make Jesus first in my life. You know, I chase after this, and I chase after that, and I love this, and I love that, but I try really hard to make Jesus first. How is that different than, than our hypothetical scenario with the husband and wife? Jesus, listen, there, I'm, 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 I, I'm devoted to these things, and I'm devoted to these people, and I'm chasing after this, and I'm chasing after that, but I'm trying hard to keep you at the top of that list. Isn't that exactly the way we talk about it? But Colossians 1.18 says, no, 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 no. You're getting it twisted. The point of Jesus is supposed to be that when you have the eyes of your heart open to see how glorious and amazing and beautiful and worthy and what a treasure he is, he becomes so preeminent in your thoughts, the rest of the list just gets burned. Like There is no list now. There is nothing. It's just Jesus, because Jesus is so far greater than everything else, right? That's the whole point. And Jesus is going after this. He, in fact, I'll, I'll show you Luke chapter uh, 14 there. Luke chapter 14, verse 26. Jesus is saying, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. What's he saying there? So is Jesus saying that you have to actually hate your family, like you have to just despise and loathe your family. I know some of you came from jacked up backgrounds. You're like, wait, Jesus says I get to hate my parents? Check, right? I'm all it, man. Christianity is awesome. No, no, that's not exactly right. He's getting at this idea of preeminence. This idea that, no, if you want to follow me and be my disciple, you have to see how glorious and beautiful and worthy I am to the point where there is no other list. It is not, I mean, let's just, I mean, yeah, I got time, sure. So, I mean, what are the idols? 
What are our big idols? Family. It's huge. Right? Do you think it's by accident that that's what Jesus went after? Do you think he was just spitballing and it just accidentally came out of his mouth? Or as God, he knew there are certain things you're going to want to fight to maybe have first. And so I need to go specifically after that. Is Jesus so preeminent in your affections, your family doesn't even make the list after? That's hard. That's tough. What does that look like? And what does that mean? We can, we, can, we can talk through all of that. But boy, what I want you to understand is, again, this difference between trying to, 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 to figure out where Jesus fits in in your order with your family or your life. Your own life. Your dreams. Your hopes. Your desires. All the stuff that you are convinced God created you to do. Not understanding, again, we just saw earlier in verse 17, the reason you were created was to glorify Jesus, not do that stuff. And so maybe he says, no, you don't get to do that. But I want you to glorify me in this way. Right? What if that happens? Is Jesus preeminent in your life? Is he preeminent? So we see that Jesus is God. He is our creator, he is our sustainer, he is our source of life, and as a result of that, he is to be preeminent in our thoughts and affections and desires and love. He is our everything, and there is no list underneath him. And then the second thing we're going to see is Jesus is also our sacrifice. This is our second big truth I want us to see. Jesus is our sacrifice. So pick that up in verse 21, all right? Verse 21. In you... Who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So look at verse 21 again. So verse 21 is going to explain what you were before Jesus. And verse 22 is going to explain what Jesus did for you and what he made you after. All right, so it's before, so what you were before, what happened to you, and then what changed after, right? This is literally going to be the gospel, all right? Who you were before, what Jesus did about it, and then what he did after, all right? So look at it. How does he describe you before, all right, B.C., before Christ? Verse 21. And you who once were alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Let's unpack those three real quick. Alienated. Alienated means separate right? Um, Separated from fellowship, separated from relationship. The idea is there is a wall between you and God, and you cannot go after him. You cannot pursue him. You cannot seek him. Not that you would even want to, and we'll see that here in a second, but you are totally separated from him. And the reason you are separated from him is the next one, because you are hostile in mind. The word hostile means hateful, Hateful in your mind. That word hateful is used in the Bible also to refer to two enemies that try to kill each other. Hostile in mind towards God. Before Christ, you were alienated from God because in your mind, you were hostile towards God. What that means is this. You desire to pull him down as preeminent and place yourself as preeminent. 
You wanted yourself as the utmost of your affections. You wanted yourself as the greatest source of joy and contentment and pleasure. You wanted to do what you wanted to do. You were hostile in your mind towards God. And what did that lead to? Doing evil deeds. You see how it works? You were separated from God. Because in your mind you did not seek God for who he is and love God and desire God. And as a result, you did your own thing and pursued these evil desires. That's who you used to be. And this is all of us. In order for us to really grow in the Lord, we've got to be honest about who we used to be. Right? This is who you were apart from Christ. But then look at verse 22. What happened as a result? Those who used to be that, verse 22, he, that's Jesus, has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Look at that phrase, he has reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. So the word reconcile means to take two opposing people or forces and bring them together in perfect union. All right, You're separate, you're opposed, you're at war with one another. Reconcile means to bring those two together in perfect union. He's talking about you and God, opposed to one another, haters of God. And what does God do through Christ? He reconciled. He brought you together. How did he do that? Through, verse 22, his body of flesh by his death. This is the sacrifice of Jesus. Theologically, we would call this sacrificial atonement. The idea that Jesus Christ laid his life down in a penalty that you rightfully deserve because he knew that you could not hold that penalty and be right with God. So he put himself in your place through his body laid down for you in death on the cross. He sacrificed himself for you. When you see the sacrifice of Jesus, when you see what he laid down for you, How unworthy I was. How unworthy you were. But Jesus laid his life down in our place for us. It changes everything. We were alienated and hostile in mind and doing evil deeds opposed to God. But Jesus came and laid his life down for us as a sacrifice. So that what could happen, 22, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. The word present means to sh- literally to show off, right? You remember kindergarten show and tell? What'd you take? You take your best stuff, right? You take what you're so excited about. You took it in, and you were so excited, you couldn't wait to show off what you had. That's the same way Jesus is describing, is describing what Jesus does with you. He literally wants to show you off. Look what my sacrifice able, was able to accomplish. He wants to show you off to the Father. Look what my sacrifice did. These people were angry and hostile and separate and doing evil things. They despised us. They wanted to run from us. They wanted their own way. But I laid my life down for them. And as a result, what happened from it? In order to present you and I holy and blameless and above reproach. Holy means saints. Makes you holy, makes you a saint, blameless, without defect, without blemish, without fault, above reproach. You are so righteous, no one can even make an accusation against you. So think about this. Jesus laid his life down as a sacrifice to make you a holy saint 
without any blemish, fault, defect, sin, so that you live so righteously, no one can even make an accusation against you. Now here's the problem. Most of us sitting in this room are going to go, roll, roll. That's not me. Right? I am not saintly and holy. I am not blameless and faultless without any defect. I am not above reproach and accusation. You can accuse me of a lot. So what does this mean? Well, two things. Number one, I want to encourage you by discouraging you. You are not holy. You are not blameless. You are a thousand light years away from above reproach. You aren't any of those things. You're correct. Neither am I. But the point is, Jesus is. This is what makes the gospel so amazing. You're not holy. You're not blameless. You're not a saint. You're not above reproach in your own life, in your own strength, in any way, shape, or form. You are a rebel and a hater of God by yourself. But Jesus stepped in your place, laid his life down for you where you should have gone so that he can now give you his righteousness. You are separated from God. But Jesus stepped in your place and had his relationship with the Father cut off so that he could now make you one with the Father. You are a sinner. But Jesus, who is righteous, stepped in your place and took on your sin so that you can now take on his righteousness. This is the sacrifice of Jesus. When you see the glorious sacrifice of Jesus, it changes you. It makes you different. It makes you different. So, our truths. Jesus is God, right? He is our creator. He is our sustainer. He is our giver of life. He is our everything that should make him first and foremost and preeminent in our affections and loves and desires. Not only that, he's our sacrifice. He died in my place and took the punishment that I deserved and soaked up the sin that was in my heart so that he can now pour his righteousness into me that I don't deserve and I'm not worthy of, but he just gave it to me out of an overflow of his amazing, glorious grace. And as a result of that, because he is God and because he is my sacrifice, therefore, you and I must Abandon everything else in our lives so that we can worship Him, pursue Him, and obey Him. Look, when you see who Jesus is, that He is God, and that He is your sacrifice, it now demands something of you. It now demands a response. When you have your eyes open to see who Jesus is, it demands of us that we would now respond in a certain way. And verse 23 tells us what that response should be. So look at 23. So verse 22 is going to tell us that Jesus gave his life so that he could present us as holy, blameless, above reproach. And then verse 23. If, indeed, you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Um, if you have a Bible, I want you to, to encourage you to circle the word if. Some translations, ESV, New American Standard, New King James Version, will say if indeed. You can circle both of those. 
Here's why. So don't scoop by the word if. So in the Greek, and I tell you, I I try to refrain going uh, Greek geek on you unless I feel like it's significant, and I think it's significant. So as you look at verse 23, it says if. In the Greek, this is a strong emphatic. Literally in the Greek, it's going to say if, if. If, surely if. If, indeed, if. If, 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 if. The point is supposed to be that that's a word that you circle 14 times and underline 10 times and have 20 different arrows pointing at it. It's a big if. It matters. Don't skate past it. Jesus will do this in you. Jesus will present you to the Father, holy and blameless and above reproach, if what? You continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. You are only going to be presented as this before the Father by Jesus if you continue in the faith. So what does this mean? First, what does it, it doesn't mean. This doesn't mean that you can lose your salvation, okay? This doesn't mean that you can be saved today and not saved tomorrow and God's like, sorry, you didn't, you didn't make the cut, right? You didn't, you didn't continue. That's not what it's talking about. What it's talking about here is the evidence that, you're act- that you've seen Jesus for who he is and yet you've trusted Jesus and his sacrifice for you and you've allowed Jesus to make you new and you're following Jesus, the evidence for that is you now continue in that faith. You, you keep going. So again, let's just get really super practical and meddle in your business just for a quick second. The evidence that you are a Christian, I need you to hear this, the evidence that you are a Christian is not you got baptized when you were seven. The evidence that you are a Christian is that you love Jesus with all your heart when you're 27, 37, 47, 57, and 97. You continue in the faith. It's not just I did that thing I'm good. I prayed that prayer, asked Jesus into my heart. I got baptized. My mom has a little certificate in a drawer somewhere. Good. No. The Bible is going to say you're only right with God if, by def- if as a result of that you continue in faith in the Lord. What do we do with people? What do we do in situations? Again, if you've been in church for long, you have seen this. You have seen people just, you know, Get saved and get on fire for the Lord. I mean, I've been here four years, going on four and a half years, and we've seen it a bunch just in my time here. People come in, they get saved, they get excited, you baptize them, like, oh, it's awesome. And they're super pumped. And then, like, it, it varies. Sometimes it's three months, sometimes it's six months, sometimes it's five years. You look around and go, so where'd Bob go? What's up with him? I don't know. Have you reached out to him? Yeah. He's like, yeah, 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 yeah. I'll I'll try to get back to church one of these days. What? I thought Jesus changed you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got saved. Is that continuing in the faith? Is that continuing? Um, Next, just to, to... make sure we don't understand, he explains what continuing the faith means. Continuing the faith, how? Being stable, steadfast, and not shifting from the hope of the gospel. Stable means you have a foundation that you build on. This is the foundation I'm building my entire 
life on. Right? You're stable. Next, steadfast. Steadfast literally means to stay. The word steadfast literally means in the Greek, sit down. You are sitting down in this and you are not moving. And then shifting. The word shifting has movement as well, but it's a little different. Shifting is sort of like a, a drift. Right? Like you go to the beach and you go out and play with your kids in the ocean. You're out there for 10, 15 minutes, and you're like, all right, let's go back up, guys. And you walk right back up, and you're like, where'd our stuff go? Where'd your mom go? Did the rapture happen? Like, what's happening? Where, where, what's going on? You're looking around, and you look, oh, wait, our stuff is a half a mile that way. What happened? So what happened? You, you walked straight into the ocean. When you were done, you walked straight out of the ocean. What happened? While you were in the ocean, the tide shifted your position. You drifted, and you drifted so subtly, you did not even realize you were doing it. And then you look up one, you look up, you know, 10, 15 minutes later, and my goodness, look how far we've shifted. And this is the way it's describing this here. We can so subtly, so slightly shift in this culture. You look up one day and you're like, whoa, where... I don't see Jesus anymore. We are to continue in the faith. Continue in the faith. Don't stop. So my question for you, have you continued in the faith? Have you seen Jesus for who he is? And as a result of seeing Jesus for who he is, that he is God. He is your creator. He is the sustainer and giver of all life. Not only that, I've sinned so much against this amazing and glorious God. But he was so awesome that he, like other religions, say, okay, here are the things you have to now do to work back into God's good graces. No, he didn't do that. He came to me and he died in my place. I deserve death. I deserve punishment. I deserved wrath. And he stood in my place and took it all for me as my sacrifice. And as a result of that, I have to give my whole self to him. I have no choice. Where else can I go? Has that been your life? Is that what you have done? If the answer to that question is no, I want to encourage you today. Trust by faith in Jesus. He is God, your creator, your sustainer, your giver of all life. And you sinned against him. You have sinned and rebelled against him. You have gone your own way, done your own thing, pursued your own path. You have been separate from him. You have been hostile in your thinking towards him. And you have been pursuing evil deeds. But Jesus Christ died in your place as your sacrifice. See the sacrifice of Jesus. Receive Jesus as your sacrifice. This is simply right now today, Jesus, I know that you're a God. I know that I've sinned against you. I know that you died in my place for my sin. You were buried for me and you rose again. I give you my life. Forgive me of my sin. I'm yours. Do that today. Do that today. Let Jesus change you. And for all of us, for those of us who have been believers, I want to encourage you, let's circle back again to where we began Matthew 13, 44. I want to show you this one more time. Again, what's this parable of Jesus? The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which man found and covered it up. 
And in his great joy, he went, he sells all that he has, and he goes and buys that field. Do you see Jesus as the greatest treasure? Is Jesus your greatest treasure? So again, we're, we're studying the book of Colossians. And, and as you read the book of Colossians, it, it has four chapters, and it breaks down two and two, right in the half. Chapters one and two, and chapters three and four, there's kind of a divide. So here's how Colossians breaks down. We're going to see this as we study. Chapters one and two of Colossians focus just on Jesus. Who is Jesus? Why is he glorious? What did he do to save you from your sin? How do you follow him and, 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 and turn to him in faith, right? It's just the first two chapters, it's just Jesus, 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 Jesus. This is who Jesus is. And then the second set, chapters three and four, get into the practical stuff. All right, now how do you be a husband? How do you be a father? How do you be a mom? How do you be a wife? How do you be a good employee, an employer? How do you stop doing bad things? All that kind of stuff. The practical faith, living it out. Colossians on purpose begins with, this is who Jesus is. You have to see who Jesus is. You have to have the eyes of your heart open to see how glorious and awesome and beautiful and amazing Jesus is. And as that happens, now we can talk about how you live that out as a husband and a wife and a mom and a dad and an employer and employee, how you stop doing sin. The problem is people come in and chat and they always want to jump to the practical. Tell me how to be a better this. Tell me how to be a better husband, a better wife, a better mom, a better dad. How to fix my finances. How to stop doing that sin that's, I mean, it's really hard. It's just a strong temptation. How do I stop doing that? They always want to jump to the practical. Tell me how to stop doing that thing or how to start doing that thing or be better at that. And the problem is we're jumping over Jesus. Now, you wouldn't say that and you wouldn't mean that. And if I tell you that, you would go, whoa, whoa, no, I'm not. But what the whole book of Colossians is trying to show us is when you see Jesus for who he is, when the eyes of your heart are open to really see Jesus for who he is, now living out the practical, you're actually empowered to do that. And it, Colossians is going to give us instruction and practical guidance, and it's going to talk through all those things, pastoral help and instruction. But the, the ability to do that, the power to do that, the impetus to do that is going to come from you seeing who Jesus is. So I, I'm going to ask our band to come up. And, and what we're going to do today as we end our time together is we're going to spend just some time praying. I just want to let you have time to pray, okay? And, and in this, what we're going to see, what I, what I want to encourage you to do is just spend a little time before the Lord asking God to reveal to you who Jesus is. In fact, I've got a couple of prayer prompts I want to throw your way. Just some things to think through as we end our time together. Number one, ask God to give you eyes to see Jesus for who he truly is. The only way we're going to see Jesus, and we saw this last week in the beginning of Colossians, that the Apostle Paul is praying that God would do this in us. Same thing for us. We're praying that God would do this in us because the only way we're going to really have this or experience this is if God does it, Right? So first, I want to encourage you to take some time today just asking God to give you eyes to see, spiritual eyes of your heart to see Jesus for who he really is. Second, ask God to remove the things in your life that make it difficult to see who Jesus is. 
for me, when my vision of Jesus gets blurry, and it does, there's no doubt, for me, when that happens in my life, it's usually because there's some kind of sin blocking that, some kind of pride, jealousy. I'm focused on myself, self-pity, self-doubt, condemnation. Or maybe there's sin in my heart that I'm just not plucking out, repenting of, and getting rid of. Maybe there are these worldly ideas and philosophies that I'm grabbing onto that are supposed to help me, but they don't actually point me to Jesus. All of these things cloud up our vision. They cloud up our ability to see Jesus for who he truly is. Ask God today to show you what might be clouding your vision of Jesus, and then if it's something you need to repent of, pluck out, stop doing, run away from, go home and throw away, whatever, do it. Get rid of anything in your life that's stopping you from seeing Jesus for who he really is. Get rid of it. And then third, I want to encourage you to take some time today and commit to God that you will dig into his word in order to uncover Jesus as your greatest treasure. Um, The Bible says that creation points us to God, right? The beach, the mountains, a newborn baby, like all these, these things the Bible would say, Romans 1, that these things exist to, to show us that there is a God and, and to push us to Him. Right? That's, that's important. It's called general revelation. Right? All humanity is given this to push us to knowledge of God. However, the Bible is also going to say that there's what's called special revelation. The only way you're going to know who Jesus is is through the specific revelation given to you in his word. Commit today that you are going to dive into his word so that you can unearth the glory and beauty and worth of Jesus. If today you're saying, I just don't think I see Jesus the way you're talking about Jesus, I would bet my house, and I don't even own it, the bank does, so you can have it. More than likely, you're probably not faithful in the Word. And I understand, man. There have been seasons in my life where I wasn't either. But it always led me to not seeing Jesus for who He is. This is the field that we are to dig into so that we can unearth the glories and beauties of Jesus. So I want to encourage you to bow your heads for me. And you can follow along those prompts or you can just pray whatever comes to your heart. That's fine. But I want to encourage you to take a little time. And our band's going to lead us here in a moment. And they're going to sing over us as we're praying. But just take a little time. Set before the Lord. And ask God to give you eyes to see Jesus for who he is. Repent and turn from anything he shows you that's blocking your ability to see Jesus for who he is. And commit that you're going to dive into his word. Go digging in the field so you can dig up that great and glorious treasure. Jesus, I pray today that you would show yourself to us, reveal yourself to us. Let us see your glory and worth and power and majesty. Let us be changed by you. We need you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.
thank you. God, we see your goodness. We see your glory and your worth. You know, as we, as we think about this and think about how glorious and amazing Jesus is, I just want to encourage you. Let's just lift our praises. Let's lift our, right now, let's just lift our voices. Who, who is Jesus? Who has Jesus revealed himself to be to you? Just right now, just, just 
one or two words. Let me just hear it all over the place. Who is Jesus? Who has Jesus revealed himself to be to you? Healer, faithful, redeemer. pray, God, for us, your people. I pray, Lord, that you would open up our eyes to see even more clearly who you are. I pray, God, that we would, every one of us, we, whether we are brand new Christians as of today, or there are people in this room who have been walking with you for 50, 60, 70 years, I ask you, God, that you would give every one of us, there isn't a single one of us who really sees you and places you as preeminent in the way that you really deserve. We all fall short of that in some way. So I pray, God, for every one of us, give us a greater, more glorious picture of who you are. Reveal yourself to us. Let us see you. Open up the eyes of our hearts to see you, Jesus, for who you are, so we can be even more changed in your glory. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. God bless you guys. I love you. Have a great week.